Welcome to another episode of Dino Files. This is episode uh, 27. Uh, interesting uh, sort of uh, different episode that we're going to be doing today. I recently recorded a show. I recorded it on, uh, on Wednesday the uh, 9th, I think it was, of uh, uh, an episode of the podcast where I spoke with uh, the guys from the Liberty Weekly podcast with Pat and Jerry from Liberty Weekly and... That's a great show. I love their show. It's uh, they they cover a lot of really interesting topics and things like that. So uh, this one's going to be a little bit different. I'm I'm going to put up the show where uh, I spoke with them, and and they're going to upload the same show uh, at you know a similar time, and that's how this is going to work. I'm I'm really happy to have worked with them. They've got a, a really great show. So give them a listen uh, whenever you can. Their uh, their episode on uh, kind of diving into. Um, new media and podcasts and things like that's really good and they've just got a lot of really good content so go ahead and give them a listen there's a blog there as well that's pretty good they also made an appearance on the actual anarchy podcast uh last week i believe uh, and that was a wonderful appearance by them as well so i hope you enjoy uh listening to myself and and those guys uh talk about um, well, really, a lot of various things, but the, the, the general topic is about debate and discussion and how we can have better conversations. So without any further ado, uh, here are the guys from the Liberty Weekly Podcast recording an episode, a crossover episode with Dino Files. I'm your host, Patrick McFarlane, appearing as always with the co-host Jerry McCollum. Thank you, Pat. All right, everyone. So today we have a great guest on. We're really excited to get into this conversation here. Uh, today is our our guest is Dean from Dino Files. Uh, he may be found on YouTube and shit. Help me out, Dean. A I R A D dot I O A I Radio. It's the it's AI the podcast Radio. network that uh, me and a few friends have decided to invest uh, too much time and money into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll we'll definitely put all those links um, to your content in the show notes page. But do you just want to talk a little bit about? Uh, a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Um, well, what I do uh, personally, I, I like to think of the of the network as separate and apart from my own projects. Um, what I do is I host Dino Files. That's a, uh, it's a podcast and I also upload stuff to YouTube, but YouTube's more of a depository and a place that hopefully people can discover my content. I really want to grow the audience through the website and um, it's, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy podcasting. I, I typically talk about where you guys – I've noticed – and I like your show for this reason because I, I have put so much pressure on myself making an events and news-based show. <laughs> Whereas uh, I notice you guys talk a lot more about topics and bigger ideas, which um, I see – I'm a little envious of that because it looks like there's a lot of freedom there. <laughs> well, I mean whatever you want to do, I like – we have tried also the news and politics uh, angle, and I think that it's it has been less popular. And I think that's just because there's so many different competing voices for news and events and commentary like that. And I think it takes it's harder to break through because I I have listened to you know Sticks Hexenhammer from YouTube. I do not. Oh, okay. Well, he he does. He does more Did like that sound uh, rude. I'm sorry. I was exhaling vapor. <laughs> oh, don't worry, man. 
Yeah. So, well, we, we've already been talking with Dean for about 30 minutes here. So we're already uh, pretty settled into the conversation. Um, should we talk a little bit about uh, the po- Liberty Weekly podcast for, for your audience? Yes, I'm. I'm. I listened to you guys did a crossover show with another podcast that I'm going to plug here that has nothing to do with me, but I love it. It's the Actual Anarchy podcast, and uh, those guys kind of break down popular culture and with an with an anarchist lens. But I'm I'm really interested. You guys were talking about kind of the origin of your show and sort of where you guys came from. So uh, just kind of that same spiel, but shorter. And I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, no worries. So me and Jerry were roommates uh, in college. Um, we lived in a house with seven guys, was it? Yeah, I, it was six. Six, six. guys. Okay, six guys. Well, I, I was an undergrad, and Jerry had been going to college, but took the smart route and dropped out. because, <laughs> And now he has no debt. Um, but we were always friends since then. Uh, Jerry kind of introduced me to anarchism. Yeah, at the time, uh, I would have, at the time, uh, Pat was a minarchist, and we talked quite a bit. Then we moved out of the house and I don't remember how long we didn't really interact with, but eventually we came back around to each other and then uh, Pat had become an anarchist, which was surprising to me. And (laughs) then we hung out for a while and then Pat started a a blog uh, last July. mm -hmm. I think it was. Yeah. And then eventually uh, he decided that he wanted to do a, a podcast and you know because we we hang out all the time and we talk about these things and it's like we should we should record it now and so that's uh that's what it's become that's, that's excellent I, you yeah. guys you guys make a really outstanding product I, I i enjoy it a lot i've listened to several episodes i i would like to make my way through the back catalog eventually but um i have listened to several more recent episodes and i went back and listened to you guys uh when you did your foray into uh, alternative media or whatever it was that you called it i can't remember but um you guys did a, an incredible job with that, and I'm I'm very impressed with what you guys have been doing. Oh well, we really appreciate that, Dean. You know, we're fans of your work as well, and we're all about growing this scene. You know, and I had I had a comment I wanted to make about how I became an anarchist, mm-hmm. and it was six months of reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of it. I I actually um I was very much just like a civil libertarian kind of a conservative guy actually um and. Uh, Guys, I, I went to school for political science. This has been political science has been the love of my life for my uh, for most of my life that I've been able to think rationally. Um, I, back in eighth grade, there's a a local radio personality, and I'm not going to say it because it would get too detailed on where I live. But um, uh, this radio personality is a civil libertarian who talks a lot about issues uh, that are more local to where I am, but also. Uh, sort of national issues from more of a civil libertarian stance, but he was kind of a conservative. And I found myself really agreeing with that. And I eventually went over to reading a lot more. And then honestly, one of the things that pushed me a lot was, uh, we talked uh, before the show about Jeremiah Harding on Tumblr and stuff like that. And Freebler, the libertarian side of, of Tumblr really, um, you know, in the, in the early 2010s, really made me kind of skew that direction. And then I read Anatomy of the State, and that was that. Uh, Anatomy of the State was really the the death nail for my belief in government. Oh, hell yeah, man. I remember the first time I read Anatomy of the State. Oh, and God. It's a fucking masterpiece. 
it 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 is dude and i tr- so i tried to get my wife to read it and i've been i've been trying to get her to read something because she's heard all the arguments and all the anecdotes you know ad nauseum but i'm like yeah just damn it i'm like <laughs> <laughs> well here's the thing there's a lot of different angles to approach it and this is why i love yeah. anarchism and this is why i love uh sort of that libertarian type philosophy is there are so many different angles to approach it from. If you look at uh, the, I've I've found myself very recently in listening to. Uh, I'm just gonna plug podcasts all day long. In listening to the uh, the philosophize this podcast with Stephen West, I have found myself um, really thinking a lot about existentialist philosophy and existentialist ethics. And one of the things that Simone de, Vo- de Beauvoir and I don't pronounce that right writes in uh, in The Ethics of Ambiguity is she sort of settles on the notion that maybe maximizing freedom is the highest good. And um, I, I didn't used to consider myself, and I talked about this on an earlier episode of my show, uh, I, I didn't used to consider myself someone who believed in a highest good. I thought all that was subjective. And then I realized that you can only have subjective goods if you have freedom. And it, it sort of has skewed me that direction. So you can approach it from a philosophical direction with, with existentialism and eth- existentialist ethics. You can approach it from an economic direction with the Austrian uh, economists. And you can approach it from a sort of a moralist direction with the notion that government is violence incarnate. Yeah, well, she, and she's a, she will not commit to labels. And I've talked about this before, but she is a minarchist and she identifies with libertarian stuff, but yeah. it's that one last little step, you know, and yeah. I'm just the, like, the step hey, to, <laughs> yeah, well, that last, that last little bit to get over the hump of, we need government to keep society ordered that, that, and it's so deeply ingrained, this kind of Hobbesian notion of what government does and what it's for. Um, it's it's so very deeply ingrained, especially in the in the American populace, that it's it's very difficult to get over that last little hump that maybe we don't need government to keep us organized and civil. Oh, it is, and it's such a deep seated thing too. It's like um, you know we've been we've been sheepled our whole life and kind of herded into this belief, and I think it really is deprogramming. And I, I've talked with her it really about. Is. But it on a fundamental level, I don't see myself as a programmer. You I've, know, got a so, question. I've got a quick yeah. question for you. I heard you on a, on a recent show talk about your wife, and, and I believe you said she hasn't been deprogrammed yet. Does your wife <laughs> listen to your show? Because if my girlfriend heard that, she would have kicked me right in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, she doesn't. She doesn't. It, she's listened to some of them and I've played some for her, but she's just busy, you know, and I don't blame her for that. You know, she lists like the, the thing is, is that there's nothing I've said on the show that she hasn't heard me talk about before. And I think the funny part of it is that I pay, I torture her. I patronize her with all of this and that's what the show is. (laughs) is my outlet you know yeah well that's the thing that's that's very interesting about it is that it's really difficult to get family to listen to your projects because they've heard you say all this shit ad nauseum and they don't want to hear it anymore (laughs) yeah exactly but we will talk about our family sometimes or a little bit we'll allude to people that we know on the show yeah, but. I've said I've said on my show I've I've got a daughter and there's an interesting anecdote I'll probably cover on the next episode of my show because I don't want it to take up time here but um, 
an interesting anecdote about trying to get my uh, my daughter into a public school. That's that's kind of cool. And then uh, I've talked about the fact that I've got a girlfriend and stuff, but I don't identify these people because I'd like to be a teacher one day, I suppose, because that's kind of the only career option that's open for me. So um, I can't really be too specific. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah for me as well. I'm in the same situation because I want to be an attorney someday. So I, it's been. I'm sure, you know, if anyone wanted to find out who I actually was, I'm sure they'd be able to. But I think that that barrier, that tech barrier stops, you know, unless someone really gets a vendetta or something. I'm not too yeah. concerned. But well, don't piss off 4chan because those guys will dox the shit out of you if they feel like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I have not messed around with 4chan. I was on Reddit for a little bit, but then it got very... It's well. It's always been toxic. Just. I like the I like the anarcho capitalist Reddit. And there are certain subreddits that are good if you're into certain things. Like I yeah. I really enjoy the uh, one of the most mature subreddits. And this is kind of off topic. And after this, let's go on to the actual topic because this is yeah. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much time. But um, one of the most mature subreddits I've ever been a part of is the e-cigarette subreddit. Yeah, I'm a vaping douche. But um, <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> The e-cigarette subreddit is so mature. People go in there with no knowledge and they're they're talking about rigs they want to run and people will immediately jump on and be like, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Do it this way. It's much safer and stuff like that. It's a very mature subreddit. Yeah. So it's always strange where that happens. Uh, on, on 4chan, the most the, – I found that the most – the nicest board was actually the board for board games out of all places. <laughs> That's it's probably kind of interesting. There are weird cross sections of communities that just tend to be, I guess, more civil. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was no the the board game one is the most civil because it's full of Mormons, and I can say that because my wife's family is LDS. So wow. what's the what's the connection between board games and Mormonism? Well, Mormons love board games, man. They're probably the biggest board game consumer market demographic in the United States or in the world. I, I am serious. They're, I don't know, Germany. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, but if, if you go to, am I not getting this? What? No, no, Germany just sells a lot. There's a, it's really? really Is Europe, that well known? Yeah, uh, board games are really popular in Europe. Oh, shit. Uh, well, yeah, and, and really, especially in Germany. I had, a, I had a German teacher in high school. I took German all through high school, and my German teacher was very focused on the cultural aspects of Germany, and that is one thing. That and uh, really hard cheeses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but if you look at um, well, I should have known this. I took ger- I was a German minor, yeah. so there there are board games that you know we sell in the United States, like in big box stores, and on the cover they'll have uh, they'll have certificates like awards in German on them. Oh, okay, like, that's how big it is in the the country. So it'll be like you know, like this kids game has this award, and the the words on it are all in German, oh. so I have no idea what it actually means. Well, but. my German friends were all really into D&D when I was over there, so I don't... Yeah, yeah I've heard that they're, that's popular there, too. Well, but I was going to say that my LDS family, if you go into their house, there's an entire wall cabinet full of board games. There's like 40 at least, <laughs> and that's what we do to have fun. It's fun. They oh, know yeah. how to have fun. That's very Clean. interesting. I, I enjoy a good a good game night. I I, uh, I grew up my um my mom went through a period of being very uh well how do I word this um one of those sort of paranoid Christians. It was just a little period in her life that she went through, but that period established um family game night on Halloween, 
And that ended up being one of the best parts of my childhood. I consider myself to be outside of the of the Christian sort of community at this point, but uh, that actually is one of the uh, better memories I have is is playing board games with my family on Halloween night. Yeah, I I love those traditions. You know, we all have uh, those little traditions we have with our families and stuff. Those are those are the things to cling to. My sister also really likes board games too, so we we did that with my family as well. But absolutely, we, sh- we should we should move on to the topic before we. Yes, we- uh, I want to say before we do. Um, I was about to do the exact same thing you just did. Look at us, we're two of a kind. Um, the uh, <laughs> I do want to say beforehand, I like to uh, I like to have a drink while I'm podcasting, and I do this on my show and on other shows that I'm on, and right now I want to say the Glen Space Side Single Malt uh, Elgin Classic Port Cask Finish Scotch is such a good drink. I am Fuck really it. enjoying it right now. <laughs> it sounds great. Well, let me grab a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, you got to fill in, Terry. I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> All right. I like to do a little bit of a of a drink review at the beginnings of some of my shows because it's uh, I find number one I find that having a drink loosens me up enough to do a good show and also that people are interested in alcohol so <laughs> I get that yeah and also it it gives character too I don't know I always really appreciate how you can you know all the you know if someone will be they'll they'll have a particular focus and it's really interesting seeing all the other focuses that they have like I've come across like so many channels that are interested in music and then they also happen to be interested in libertarianism. It's always really strange when that happens. Yeah. I I love the crossovers that happen. I've noticed a big crossover with, uh, fans of the big Lebowski and libertarianism. (laughs) Really? Wow. Yeah. I love the big Lebowski and there's a guy, um, who was part of the, the libertarian side of Tumblr on, on Freebler who was a, uh, he, I believe his screen name was, uh, Dudas Libertarian. Um, you're into metal, right? Your intro is metal. I love I've it, heard- dude. I love it. Right I- now, I'm wearing... Uh, you can't see it, and I might upload the video. I might not. We'll talk about it. But um, right now, I'm wearing a Suicide Silence shirt, and I just finished listening to uh, Molotov Solutions' album again. There you go. We're we're really into Mashuga, and we want to talk about Mashuga on the show at some point in time. I did a uh, I did a an article in one of my English classes in college. I I wrote an article about we had to do a magazine article. What I wrote about was uh, the origins of gent in progressive metal like Mashuga. There you go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we I so I did an article about Colossus uh, and the. Okay, so are you, do you listen to Meshuggah? I, I assume you do. I have listened to some Meshuggah, but I would not get the deep cuts. Oh, okay. Well, the the first track on Coloss is I Am Colossus, and the lyrics are legitimately describing government. you got to check it wow. out. It's crazy. Have you ever listened to Molotov Solution? Uh, I've heard of them. I have not. I haven't even heard of the name. Molotov Solution. I'm serious. Write it down. If you like metal, these guys are the most sort of... They're one of the only metal bands I can find that's actually... They feel like they're anarcho-capitalist in their lyrics, whereas a lot of anarchist metal bands are are anarcho-communist. 
um, yeah. or leftist anarchists. Like Napalm Death, and which makes me sad. Sorry. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, the Heart Machine has some of that stuff too. But um, okay. yeah, it's uh, really, really good stuff. Molotov Solution, they, they broke up, and I was so sad. They broke up years ago, but they've got two albums that kick absolute ass, and you will love them if you tend to like metal. It's uh, it, it's so so good. Oh, I'm gonna have to check them out because I've heard them. Are I've you got it written down? Oh, he does. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's get, let's get into our topic because I don't want to. I don't want to. We're having a lot of fun, but I don't want to. You know. Yeah, I don't want to burn too much time. And this is a topic that's actually been really interesting to me ever since Google Manifesto, but also before that, I've been really interested in sort of what's happened to discourse. So go ahead and introduce the topic. Okay, so we wanted to talk about debating and whether informally or formally. And I actually was, we were, we just recorded an episode on the Jeff Dice controversy with his speech. Are you, are you aware of that, Dean? I am not familiar with that, no. Okay, so Jerry's really good at introducing topics and I bumble through it. So I'm going to let him talk all, about all it. All right, so the, the issue about, about this Jeff Dyke speech is that uh, a lot of people, I would say, have been strawmanning Jeff Dyke's speech and saying that he's advocating for conservative libertarianism or making libertarianism more appealing to fascists and lots of uh, very strange and, uh, you know, toxic things people have been throwing around. Is that not, I, I don't, I hate to interrupt, but is that not a weird move that I've seen recently where people are equating like libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism with, uh, I think the popular tweet that went around was like, they were just fascists who hadn't found their leader yet. I've seen that before. It yeah. is, it is really bizarre. <clears throat> well, so he, he gave this speech at the Mises summer program and I, I, some people at the Cato Institute took called him a Nazi and, and a white supremacist and stuff like that. Ah, and so it was, it was kind of like, um, when there were a lot of ANCAPs and voluntarists, especially that were saying that he was a, he was being a collectivist, something or other. I forget the tweet precisely. See, coll- um, collectivist as a label on somebody, I don't mind. But when you start calling somebody a white supremacist and a Nazi, you better be right because that shit is, is, if you're not right about that, that is one of the worst things you can possibly do for discourse. Yeah, yeah. And so what we've seen, and I, I agree with you, and what we've seen is kind of a split. I've I seen it on I've seen it on Twitter. Um, but and and it's a split that it isn't marked by people with different opinions. It's marked by people who are attacking each other. Yeah, and, which yeah. is unfortunate. And a lot of them have the same opinions, which is the well. Nuance. But. Well, that's the thing. These are divisive times. I've seen a lot of anarcho-capitalists go Kekistani recently, and I don't have a problem with Kekistan as a um, as a satire of identity politics, which is what it was to begin with. But there's a lot of white supremacists who have adopted uh, kind of the Kekistan type of thing, and there are a lot of uh, of actual Nazis who now identify with the Kekistani type of thing. And, and I don't agree with stopping a thing just because somebody's, I, somebody else has glommed onto it. Um, sort of like Pepe. Pepe was a meme long before fucking Richard Spencer says it was his. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I tend to, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people get really split over, honestly, Donald Trump has kind of done it. I, I don't want to get too deep into that, but I, I think that's the case. 
Well, I personally have gotten a little frustrated and I've made this rule that I kind of talked about in the last episode is that I'm not going to argue with anyone on Twitter anymore because. <laughs> oh, man, um, why not? It's so much fucking fun. <laughs> I just I feel like when you you lay. Are you being sarcastic? Because I can't I'm, tell. I'm being a little sarcastic. Every now and okay. then you can have a really good discussion on Twitter, but very often it's just people lobbing insults back and forth. It's not really worth your time. Yeah. Well, and what I've noticed is that people will, they'll comment on something from, from the video or from, sorry, from our podcast. And, um, I try and clarify it and we ended up getting into an argument, but it was all circular and it was all over semantics and you can't, you can't do that over 120 characters per tweet. And it's, I have no ill will, you know, at all, but I just felt like, you know, you end up coming off one of the things I've noticed about Twitter arguments is that you end up and this is kind of I guess related to our topic is that in Twitter on Twitter specifically you end up coming off very blunt and a little rude because your character limit uh, really reduces the amount of nuance you can introduce into your argument and so you end up coming off uh, I guess a little more blunt than you would if you actually had the space to to say what you really want to say. Yeah, it's like a filter over what everyone's saying that just makes it easier to be offended or annoyed by. Yeah, everybody, especially in an argument about philosophy or politics, everybody sounds rude on Twitter, and it's not even necessarily because they're being rude. It's because they only have 140 characters to make their point, which is why I've embraced threading, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. Is it 120 or 140 characters? It's 140, but here's the thing. If you okay. use apostrophes and commas correctly, if you use punctuation correctly, it may as well be 120. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I've just been – what we were kind of lamenting in the episode, the last episode, the one we just recorded, is that libertarians and ANCAPs are so hostile to everyone and to each other. And, I noticed – you, you, the, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this was because on a recent episode, you were talking about how the anarcho-capitalist and libertarian community on Twitter tends to be – I think you described them as sharks waiting waiting for chum in the water. And yeah. I think that's very, very true. It's, it's sort of a um, – you, you have a lot of people and really I, I don't like to say our side, but I will say it for expediency's sake. Our side on these political topics has – uh, sort of become a little bit more militaristic than I'd like. In what sense? In in the sense that, like you said, the the people on quote again our side. I, I don't like to say that, but they've yeah. the, they are sort of like sharks waiting for people to chum the water. There they will jump on anything, and instead of much like with Google Manifesto, which again kind of kicked off my my real desire to discuss this. Um, they'll argue based on a person's uh, lack of humanity rather than the points, the actual philosophical, intellectual points that are being made. And I think that's the hallmark of really bad debate is when you start to say that somebody is um, is uh, barely human because they have this specific opinion. I, I, I think it, I think that's very damaging to discourse. Yeah, it is. And I, I have to give credit to my wife for the sharks and the chum analogy because she that that was her observation on things that she had witnessed, you know, in Twitter interactions that I've been in with and stuff like that. Yeah. But for, for people back home that maybe don't know what the Google Manifesto is all about, let's um, 
can you explain that to them and them under their rock? <laughs> Certainly. Um, I did a I did a, a podcast where I spoke about this for f- frankly far too long at the end of it, and I uploaded that segment as a video. But um, the the Google manifesto was there. There's this engineer, software engineer at Google who wrote this memo. It was an it was kind of an internal memo that that went out and. This memo basically, it's a 10-page memo that uh, media outlets have been describing as a screed, though that's not what I picked up from reading it. Um, it it's, it's a fairly reasoned argument for what I subjectively think is an incorrect opinion, but it's basically saying that the uh, psychological and biological differences between men and women make women worse at that particular job. And... Um, well, I don't think I know several software developers and and people who are kind of in that sort of world, and I don't see anything between men and women who would make uh, that would make women any worse at that job. In in fact, there was a medium post that was written by an ex Google employee where he said that these supposed differences would actually make women better at this job. And when you read that post, it makes a lot of sense. And um, however, the, there's the backlash against Google Manifesto was less about the points that he was making. However wrong they may have been, they were well-reasoned. It wasn't a screed, it was an argument. And the way that it was sort of described in the media was as this, the ranting of this lunatic sexist. And that's of that course. wasn't the case at all. <clears throat> of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, just, I haven't, I'm not super red on the issue, and uh, that was that was a great summation. Um, but was it kind of like Jerry Maguire? Have you seen that movie where in the beginning he writes this memo and he's feeling really good about how we are going to revolutionize the industry and be a people company because he's a sports representative and uh, he gets freaking fired catastrophically. <laughs> but I'm not going to lie to you. Jerry Maguire is on my list of shame for films. Um, It's it's the list of films that I have not yet seen that I need to watch. And Jerry Maguire is on it along with Groundhog Day and several other really classic movies. Uh, We all have that list. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's a good one. It's a good one. But um, yeah, it honestly, I don't personally in my own life, I don't the culture war and the the whole PC kind of thing. I I don't want to say that I've evolved out of it, but I just my patience for it is so low that I don't even follow it anymore. Really, yeah, I I there was a time when I um I've actually evolved a lot of my philosophy in a very short amount of time, and um I think part of it is coming to existentialism. But uh, before that, there, there was a time where I followed Milo, and I thought that Milo was the freaking messiah for for uh, you know intellectual integrity and stuff like that. Um, and and I don't just to be clear, I don't I have opinions about what he said about the uh, guy that had sex with him when he was a minor. There's I have opinions about that, but that doesn't really have anything to do with this discussion. Um, the um, the whole the whole thing with Milo was that he was like uh, sort of a he was a culture warrior from not even really necessarily the right just more from the point of reason and more like hey you know maybe we shouldn't uh, 
be so postmodernist about culture. Maybe we shouldn't be so focused on diversity. Maybe we should be focusing more on quality and on merit and things like that. And, uh, you know, people have their opinions about that, but that's kind of what I went along with for a long time. And I haven't lost that, though I have lost my love for Milo. Um, I don't know. There's... I guess I kind of lost my train of thought, but there's there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of issues that are brought up in the manifesto that I think have led to a really um, negative impact on on debate, or at least have illustrated the dire straits that discourse is in in this. Uh, I'll say this culture because the internet has really divided, or uh, I guess blurred the lines between countries. So I don't want to say this country, but I'll say this culture, kind of internet culture, Twitter culture. Well, and I know that Jeff Dice specifically has talked about how, <clears throat> and I don't really want to strawman him or, because I'm, I'm barely remembering this, but talking about how even the internet itself has def- has fragmented and everyone is kind of retreating into their own little niches. And maybe this wasn't Jeff Dice, but if I think we run the danger in the ANCAP community of becoming an echo chamber... And I don't. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think, Jerry? Uh, I would actually say yes and no. I yeah. would say that people have moved into their own uh, communities and cultures, but then when there is something that brings them out into the open, if that makes sense. So, like for example, this uh, this Google manifesto, they're coming out to fight, if that makes sense. And that's something yeah, that I've absolutely. Seen. And so, it, you know, like when the different like the different niche political communities that I've seen, when they interact with each other, it's always with their fists out. Almost That's what I normally see where it's like, oh, someone did something stupid and we're going to show everyone and tear them apart. It's like the outsiders when all the greasers and the, the come out. And mm-hmm. they, yeah, I um, I don't know. I've talked about this on the show and how I personally and I have stopped talking to the left. Um, that's my own personal decision, but I don't find it to be useful. And with the podcast, I've realized that, well, one thing is that you can't convince anyone that doesn't want to listen. Yeah. And that that's you need... true. Yeah, and that you're going to... Con- you can't convince anyone. You can only show them the trough, but they can eat from it. You know, you can't make them eat from it. Yeah. To, to make an analogy, but but well, the they, the the classic is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yes, yes, exactly. And so with the podcast, I feel like I can reach more people who are receptive to my ideas and my thoughts, and that is where my that's where my effort is going to be expended from this point forth. I absolutely you know, agree with that. There's a I I, I want to. Uh, I want to say there was a point that I think Jared just made about the kind of the echo chamber situation. It's it's absolutely true that um, ANCAPs run the risk of, uh, and I, I think this is sort of antithetical to what you said, Pat, but I, I think anarchists really do, anarcho-capitalists and libertarian anarchists, run the risk of, I guess, sort of siloing themselves in with people who agree. And I think the draw, the frankly, fun of kind of not necessarily trolling, but more, you know, I do this a lot on like Jeff Kanata and Will Wheaton's post where I say like, they'll, they'll post a thing and I'll say like, well, you know, this isn't true. There's no difference between left and right. It's not really trolling, but it's more like trying to inject that philosophy into a thread that you're not really uh, familiar with or part of. And I think that 
that sort of draw has led the online, which is really where all this stuff comes from at this point. I, I don't think anybody would argue that social justice didn't come from an online movement. I, I think it absolutely did. But um, all these movements come from this kind of the Twitter sphere or the blogosphere or whatever you want to call it, whatever 90s term you want to use. I think it's kind of led everybody to be a little bit more abrasive than they need to be, and it's really hurt discourse on the left, on the left specifically, and I want to make this point, I, I want to make sure to get this point out, frankly, before we run out of time. I, um, I, on the left, you see them calling, leftists calling anyone who disagrees with them alt-right. And alt-right, um, maybe even rightly so, has this sort of uh, literally Hitler type of implication. And I notice that when I disagree with someone who's a leftist and they call me alt-right, everybody in the thread kind of gloms onto that and they're like, yeah, this is just an alt-right asshole, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm really not. I'm, I'm nonpartisan because I don't agree with the existence of government generally. <laughs> but and I've seen this happen either with people who would call themselves, usually they call themselves center left or something like that. But there's all these people who are, you know, they describe themselves as being left because they're for socialized medicine, they're for gun control or those sort of things. But then, you know, people like Antifa will be calling them alt-right just because they criticize them when they're like, you know, when they're pretty, I would say objectively, pretty firmly center or center left. And so that, this even happens to people who are um, in a more conventional political space. And it's it's really uh, it really doesn't help at all. I agree completely. There's there's a uh, Chris Raygun who I think. Uh, wow, I just dropped something. I'm sorry. Chris Raygun, who uh, I, I think makes really good contents and, and makes content and and makes incredible points on a lot of things. Uh, he's been called an alt right Nazi. Um, for for much of his very recent career, and I think it's uh, it's unfair. He's not he's a very liberal guy, <laughs> but he uh, he doesn't agree with the far left, you know, leftists, and it's I don't know. It just it just really makes discourse uh, very I guess toxic now. Um, when when you can just so easily say, well, you're just an alt-right guy, blah, 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 and then justify to yourself that you don't have to listen to this person because they're a fucking Nazi. Oh, yeah. Pat, do you have any ideas on that? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm running out of steam, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few hours here. No, um, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, I just... I Being at the University of Minnesota and uh, going through that indoctrination... And I've I've heard it all, man. And I just this it just I'm burnt out. You know, and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, you know say that I don't want to engage the, on the topic. You know, I just don't have much to say because it's like I've been there. You know, I this is a, a years long thing. You know, dealing with and it's just it's exhausting. You know, trying to deal with the left and and trying to have discourse in this environment. And uh, I joined. I was in Young Americans for Liberty at the U of M, and we. Yeah. Handed up constitutions, and you know, I did all that rigmarole, and uh, I 
it's just exhausting. You know, I don't know how people do it. <laughs> it was pretty fun. You know, we had the we had the YAL conference on the UNT campus, uh, yeah. the, the sort of North Texas, Dallas area YAL conference on the UNT campus uh, for a few years in a row. And I went every time and you got to listen to all these great thinkers, people who are minarchists, people who are libertarians, people who were straight anarchists. In fact, the uh, the University of Oklahoma um uh, students for a stateless society would show up every year and you got all these interesting cool viewpoints on, on I guess that's our side of the spectrum but it, it, I, I want to make I guess the point that I really want to make that I think is most important is that if you're debating with somebody and I know I'm talking to people on our side and I, and I hope that they listen if, if you end up in a debate with somebody whether in real life or on Twitter the most important thing you can do to help your perspective is to treat that person as a human, to respect their humanity. They are a person with an opinion, an opinion that they've come to through typically, I guess, one of two ways. Either they've been indoctrinated into that opinion or they've come to that opinion through actual research and philosophical thought themselves. And I, I think that should be respected. I, I, I don't like the idea of... I like, look, statist is definitely a description, but it shouldn't be a slur. Statist is one of these things that should be a a talking point. It should be kind of, where do we come from? We're on opposite sides of the state issue. So where do we go to find our, our um, I guess, ethical starting points? Where do we go to find our first principles ethically? And as you continue from that, you can respect a person's humanity while at the same time arguing against their point. And I want our side to do that more. And I, I seriously doubt there are any social justice leftists who are listening to this right now. But if they would do the same thing, I think discourse would be so much more healthy for it. And you may not see the kind of BS headlines that you saw with the Google Manifesto and all that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's a tremendous point. And I, we definitely, I, I don't want to speak for Jerry, but we definitely agree. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've talked about, you know, being a paragon, if, if you're going to, well, we, this was in the context of speaking up when you're at a university being a libertarian or an ANCAP and, and saying that if you're, if you're going to speak, if you're going to argue, be a paragon. And I think that I think you're you're right about the status term. We use it as a pejorative term in our own inner circle, but it's easy to forget that we were all status once, or at least the vast majority of us. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's even easier to forget that most people are. And if we're going to if we're going to spread our message, if we're going to um, proliferate the idea of liberty, true liberty, without government involvement or infraction. What, what we have to do is we have to respect the philosophy of statism. And, and I don't mean respect it as in uh, give it some undue uh, credence. I mean respect it as a philosophy that exists. We're in a... I, I, I don't like to use terms like war because they sound overly dramatic, but... If you're an anarchist who's trying to spread the idea of liberty, you are literally in a war of ideas. And in order to win a war of ideas, you have to debate the other side. You can't just say, no, I'm fucking right. Fuck you. It, it, that's not how it works. And the same is true for social justice liberals. But again, I doubt they're listening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, with certain mediums, it's 
a lot easier to get a following or to get people interested when you're not about doing a debate. I see this a lot on YouTube where, you know, there there's a, a term that I call it, it's feminist first responder. So it's, you know, it's, it's literally it's, Anita Sarkeesian. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it, it's not Anita Sarkeesian. It would be people like Thunderfoot who uh, would criticize her. And so they're the first responders to a feminist. And those people, they, um, this isn't the case universally, but there's a lot of people who it's they they can make content that is uh, more on the offensive. It's not about debating. It's more about making fun of someone. And that can, yeah. that's unfortunately really popular. And it's a lot easier. I, I've seen um, there'll be channels that will grow significantly faster because they're uh, this on the offensive. They're attacking. They're being you know, they're not giving the benefit of the doubt to the person that they're uh, responding to. And it's it's unfortunate that at least it it seems in some ways that, you know, the, the market online, at least on a place like YouTube is more interested in these, uh, these hostile uh, tactics. Absolutely. Uh, There's a, I've noticed the thing that really gets, and I think this is just a microcosm of what makes the internet work, is the thing that gets the clicks and the views is outrage. And so anarcho-capitalists have to be more outraged. Your your feminists have to be more outraged. Your uh, feminists who are like toxic femme, who are more second-wave feminists in a neo-feminist world, they have to be outraged about things. Outrage is the currency. And I think that has done tremendous tremendous harm to legitimate philosophical discussion to the point where the people who are really in control of a situation, just like with the Google Manifesto, um, sort of leftist SJW types are really in control of that situation, and so that guy just got booted without any consideration of his actual points. Now, I, I, I will say, again, I don't think he was right. I think that many of his points were incorrect, but it he wasn't like some boorish sexist out here making these arguments. He was actually building a, a legitimate philosophical argument and, and, and uh, biological argument, and it was completely ignored. I think that I think that the best thing that we can do for debate, uh, especially guys like us who are on the outside of the mainstream, guys like us who who aren't um, either, SJW leftists or Fox News sheeple, guys like us who exist outside of those dynamics, I think the best thing we can do is respect the philosophies of others um, and, and argue against them while giving them due respect, not credence, respect. And I think those are two t- totally different things. And I think that we have really hurt our own cause, and I, I hate to use collectivist language like that, but it's the best way to be uh, uh, fairly, I guess, to do this uh, in a in a short amount of time. Yeah, and I think I, I really I really agree with that, and I think that um, we are we are idealists living in a realist world. Exactly. I think, and, and I my my mom's critique of me because I've presented this idea to her a lot, and she is a professional in the legal field, and she has experience in the real world, and my dad too, and they just label label me as an idealist, and I I think that's a cop out, but at the same time we are idealists, I think, 
And but I I wanted to to kind of uh, bring this to a close here on a more positive note, though. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how I have kind of realized the power that the Internet gives to people like us to at least have a voice in this conversation and and to humbly put myself and maybe Jerry, I don't want to speak for you, but put ourselves at the feet of this amazing technological marvel that is the Internet and I know we I can see through our demographics that we have listeners in South Africa and we have listeners in Japan and oh, Sweden, yeah. Russia, and that blows my fucking mind. So I shout out on, I see that on YouTube. It's it's fascinating. It's yeah. amazing. So shout out to anyone who's listening to this podcast from around the world. It just it blows my mind. And it's such a an opportunity for us to have a soapbox and to to speak it's, it's just amazing crazy. as a force for the democratization of knowledge that's the thing it, it's i find that this is one of the things that fascinates me so much about the difference between discourse in popular political discussion and the difference between discourse uh online and between different uh podcasts is that on, on the internet, person to person, people tend to be very antagonistic. People tend to not be able to have a real reasoned debate. But in a podcast, anybody can lay out their ideas in the most reasoned fashion. And I think it can only do more good for uh, people. Even, frankly, you know what? I hate Nazis and I hate communists. But if they want to start a podcast, more power to them. They should be able, everybody should be able to have their ideas put out there in in a form that is uh that is i guess fully featured a form that is uh longer and you're able to contextualize your ideas and add nuance and oh i i love it i'm i'm a, i'm kind of a tech geek but i i really do love the internet uh as a construct for its ability to democratize knowledge i think it's so important oh yeah it's been it's been awesome yeah it's been great so you know as we're as we're closing up here i this um, <clears throat> mutually, this is going to go on both of our shows as an independent podcast for both of them. So let's wrap up here with telling people how we can follow or how they can follow our content. So why don't you start, Dean? Absolutely. Um, you can find my show at airad.io slash dinofiles. You can also find it on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, uh, Google Play Music and Stitcher. I'm, I'm, I've tried to be everywhere that you can possibly find me. You're going to find my content on YouTube as well, though what I believe I've decided is to upload excerpts to YouTube, uh, shorter videos that are a little bit more uh, easy to digest, not full shows. Um, in order to drive traffic to the podcast itself. So the podcast is uh, Dean O Files, Dean O Files, and this is an ad free show. So if you would like to, I please donate at patreon.com slash Dean Show, no dashes. Yes, and at the Liberty Weekly podcast, you can find us by navigating to libertyweekly.net. Uh, we are also on all major podcasting networks like iTunes. Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Uh, we're also on YouTube. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Minds, and Steemit, and Gab. And BitChute, too. And BitChute. Oh, yeah. BitChute. Have, do you know about BitChute, Dean? I don't know about BitChute. I do want to say, uh, before you go into BitChute, I always forget something. And uh, for the last several shows, I've actually forgotten Patreon, which is a big mistake. But oh, yeah. um, uh, I, I did forget my Twitter. My Twitter is at Dino Files, uh, no spaces, and the network is at 
uh, Altnet Radio, and that's all, or uh, yeah, that's all that is. So, um, what's Bitshoot? Okay, well, before you do that, we're going to link to all your stuff in our show notes page, so all the listeners can find that below. Um, but Dan, that's Dean, wonderful Bitshoot. of you. BitChute BitChute is the media revolution. It's a freaking peer-to-peer video hosting platform. And it the the peer-to-peer network is within the browser. So as you're watching, you're also uploading the you video files. So you don't have but, to have like BitTorrent running in the background. It's 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 torrenting but through a browser client is what you're saying? Yes. It's awesome. But yeah. but for like video content. Like yeah, yeah, just no, well, well torrenting is just a, a term for peer to peer sharing of files. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so get on get on BitChute because it it's it's still a rather small community, but it means that we've gotten a lot more views from BitChute than we have from YouTube. Yeah, like like for even just for practical reasons, like uh, the BitChute Twitter account has like posted our stuff. They, he's sent people to our Twitter account, so it's a really good place to uh, spread your message. Absolutely, I'm I'm writing that down right now. I will make my way there directly. Yeah, do it, Dean. Do it. <laughs> okay. Well, we had a real fucking blast talking to you, Dean. It's been a real good time. I like talking to you guys too. Uh, again, I love your show. I think I think the stuff you guys do is is wonderful for. Uh, I hesitate to use phrases like the cause, but I think it is wonderful for the cause. And I, uh, I really enjoy listening to you guys and, and I've really enjoyed, I've absolutely enjoyed being here. Uh, it's, it's been a blast. So I hope we can do it again. Yeah, definitely. Dean, definitely. We feel the same about your content and, you know, we really hope that we can see both of us grow together here in the next year or so. I would love that. You know, I've been I've been doing this for a few years now, and I haven't really marketed. I haven't really been trying to grow as much as I probably should have. But I've been reaching out to people, and and you guys are are really seriously some of the best content that I've heard as far as our interests, uh, if you will, go. And I'm just I'm just happy to be on your feed, frankly. Oh well, that's high praise, Dean. High praise. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, man. Um, we'll have to have you back on. I know we, we've kind of been setting up a little network here. So, so we're hoping, you know, within maybe, you know, in a month or two or something like that, we'll figure something out. Absolutely. And I will, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to boost you guys over the last few weeks and I will, I will mention your podcast whenever I can. Thanks Dean. Well, we're going to, we're going to market this as well. And with all of our social media and stuff like that too. So, um, but get on BitChute. We want to see you on there. I will. I, I'm I'm fascinated by the prospect. I hadn't heard of this before, and I love the notion of peer-to-peer. Uh, frankly, I think that's where the internet's going with all of this NSA shit and things like that. I think the internet's actually moving toward peer-to-peer mesh networks with uh, with encryption. Um, that's more of a tech show type of thing. I really should have a tech show, but um, <laughs> that's what I think that's where it's going. Yeah, that's what we're hoping too. And Jerry was nodding his head vigorously when you said that. So, <laughs> um, but uh, well, that's uh, Liberty Weekly Podcast with Pat and Jerry signing out here. Wonderful, thank you, thank you, Pat and Jerry, for having me on your show. And that's been Pat and Jerry on the Dino Files podcast. That was uh, a lot of fun to record. I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to talk to those guys, and uh, it's it's. It was a ton of fun. I really hope to do it with them again. They're they they are really, really good guys and fun to talk to. And, and we developed a rapport, I think, pretty quickly. And I'm 
I'm happy to know him, and I'm happy to have had that discussion with him. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dino Files, and uh, I'll see you again next time. This show is part of the Alternative Internet Radio Podcast Network. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io.